everybody. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley, the Muscle Maven Van Houten. I guess that would be my fighter name, right? If I was going to be a fighter, because that's, I could probably come up with something better, but that's how people know me. I don't know. We'll work on it. Uh, But that's topical because today's guest is a fighter. um, And I had a really, really fun time chatting with him and learning a lot of useful information, both from a performance standpoint and a nutrition standpoint. So today I'm talking with Chris Algieri. He is a world boxing champion. He's a world kickboxing champion. He is a cookbook author. He wrote the book, The Fighter's Kitchen, which is amazing. Um, He also has a bachelor's degree in healthcare science. He has a master's degree in clinical nutrition. So he kind of has this whole performance thing down from all angles. He's still a competitive fighter, but he's also um, doing things like seminars and workshops and teaching people about nutrition, um, both for elite athletes. He works with other elite athletes as well as average, normal, wannabe athletes like myself and many others. Um, So the question you might be asking right now, I'll just give you the answer. Of course, we talked about the movie Bloodsport. You know, uh, that's a no brainer. Like, how am I going to talk to an elite kickboxer and not talk about the movie Kickboxer, not talk about Jean-Claude Van Damme movies in general. So yeah, of course we talked about that. Uh, I also get him to give me some practical, um, actually some practical boxing tips um, as a Southpaw. I don't know anybody else out here uh, listening that dabbles in um, martial arts or boxing or anything like that, who is left-handed like myself, but you know, I just had to make everything a little bit more difficult for myself by being left-handed, but he actually was able to just through a video call, give me like some really practical tips for my sparring and my training and and training at home, which was very cool. Um, But of course we also talk mostly about nutrition um, and how uniquely different it is to fuel um, a fighter and fuel an athlete that has to train the way that a fighter has to train. But, you know, we also talk about how you can take some of this um, information and this knowledge and apply it to a much more practical real world solution for those of us who are not elite athletes and thus do not need to be training, eating and working the same way they are. But we can use that as inspiration. We can take it and apply it more practically to ourselves, which is super, super helpful. Um, So we talk about all that. It was great. Um, He's an awesome dude. Lots to learn from him. Super smart. Um, So I highly recommend you check him out on Instagram um, at Chris underscore Algieri. I'll put that, of course, in the show notes. You can check it out. Check out his book, The Fighter's Kitchen. Um, And if you haven't, I mean, go watch Bloodsport. Like, what are you waiting for? This was, I don't know, 1990 Jean-Claude Van Damme. Come on. Like, you got to watch it for the, the soundtrack, the training montages, if nothing else. Okay? I mean this seriously. Um... All right, that's it. <laughs> Without further ado, here's my chat with Chris. You're an old pro at podcasting anyway, so you know what you're doing. You know your way around a podcast. Yeah, I've done quite a bit of these over the last half a decade. Yeah, Chris, thank you so much for, you know, being on mine and, and being willing to chat with me. I appreciate it. No, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. I, I love a lot of the stuff that you've been putting out. So, yeah, I think we have some some uh, similar interests. I think I feel like I've seen in your stories a little bit that you indulge in some liver from time to time. You're about the nutrient density. That's one of the things I want to talk to you about your book and and the work that you do now. So, um, I appreciate anybody who's willing to eat a big piece of liver, big liver steak. <laughs> Honestly, I I'd probably eat liver two or three times a month. Yeah, I mean that's pretty. I mean that's that's a lot for most people. Like I'm, yeah. I guess I'm probably about about the same because I feel like you know when I was writing my book and I was 
only eating organ meats for like months at a time. There was a period where I was like, I'm cool if I don't eat liver for a while, like I'm fine. <laughs> and like, I go to people's houses and people are trying to be nice to me. And they're like, oh, like let's make some organ meats from your book. And I'm like, I'm actually cool if we I'm don't. Good. <laughs> because I'm good. It's, you know, listen, I love it. I truly do. Like I am not somebody who has to choke this stuff down. But as you know, I think when you eat things that are so nutrient dense, you really don't feel the need to have to eat them all the time. Like your body tells you like, I'm good now. Like you've given me a lot of liver. I'm good. I can kind of chill for a bit. So, uh, yeah. I totally agree. It's, 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 it's strange, but it's not your body knows what it needs from a micronutrient standpoint. And a lot of cravings I think are, are, are related to that. And when yeah. you feed your body, what it actually needs, especially at the, at, at the nutrient and cellular level, you, that doesn't, you don't have that. You don't have those cravings anymore. And, and, uh, I think that's something that's, often overlooked. Yeah. I'd love for you to kind of give me and the listeners a bit of an update on what your work and life is like right now. Um, you know, and if it's been affected, I guess, by what's going on in the world and travel being what it is and sports being what it is and, you know, all the kind of different things that are throwing wrenches in, in a lot of people's lives. What's going on with you these days? Yeah. So, um, obviously the, the pandy, as I like to call it, caused a lot of issues for pretty much everybody. It really hurt artists and, and athletes probably, um, you know, maybe more so than people understand. Um, I had multiple fights scheduled of my own that was, that were canceled during the pandemic. And now we're, we're kind of in that transitionary stage where fights are starting to come back, but they're fought in a bubble. There's no fans. Um, and there's a certain tier, a certain level of, of, of fighter in terms of the elite elite world-class that's fighting you're seeing the tip top guys. Like we had the Tiafimo and, and, um, and Lomachenko fight a couple weeks ago, but, and then you've got, you know, the guys who are like prospects who are fighting to get into position and get up the rankings. There's not a lot of the upper mid-level guys who are, who are really getting in there right now. And I think a lot of it is one, cause of the money and, and two, cause of the fans. I know for me, I, I want fans, you know, like mm. I'm part of the reason I fight is for that feeling. And, um, you know, so for me hanging out for another couple of months and hopefully things will open up or finding certain states where are is worth it for me. So other than that, I've been, you know, blessed with what's been happening. I've, I've been able to work this whole time, which is a big deal. Um, you know, as soon as fights came back, I started, I was commentating and traveling quite a bit. Um, I, tr I've, I'm probably on the upper echelon of, of, of number of times I've traveled cross country during the pandemic, um, mm -hmm. compared to a lot of people out there. But uh, other than that, I mean, it, it, it's been good. Other than that, just what I normally do, like you said, doing podcasts and speaking engagements, uh, guest lecturing down in, in uh, South Florida at Nova University, and um, just trying to spread the word about, about nutrition and importance for, for, for performance. Yeah, like you really, you uh, wear a lot of hats because you're still actively an athlete and then you're also sort of supporting other athletes i guess in some ways and then you're doing the nutrition thing and kind of teaching the masses about this sort of stuff so i would imagine i don't know is that like hard to kind of turn on and off the different um hats that you need you know like when you're like you're training you're thinking about yourself you're very like internally focused maybe if you're training for a fight and then like i know i've read you know i'm like doing my due diligence research on you and you've been a nutritionist for other athletes right like you've worked mm -hmm. on other people's camps and and then you've got like i said this book and, and a lot of this um information that you're reaching out to like average people and trying to teach us some stuff is it hard to kind of go back and forth between all of these things or is that it's something you've been doing for so long that it kind of comes naturally yeah, I think you nailed it on the head on the last one. It's uh, something I've just been doing so long that I'm, I'm accustomed to it. And I think my brain works best 
you know, when I do have a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire. So, you know, I was a professional kickboxer at fighting. I was a world champion at 21 years old, you know, and I was a full-time student in undergrads, you know, and I was pre-med. Then, you know, I made my transition into boxing and I was a full-time graduate student studying nutrition. So like I was always carrying a lot of things and, and, and worlds that were so polar. So I'm a professional athlete on the weekends, but I got to do my physics homework on Thursday, you know, and I, I remember, uh, vividly coming back from a sparring session, um, in, in, uh, ozone park in Queens. And I'm in the, my coach is driving. I know I was like, I need you to drive. Cause I need to study on the way there and the way home. And I'm literally reading physics and reading about vectors while I'm about to go spar world champion. And then coming back from that, after getting punched in the head a bunch of times and, you know, and then, you know, firing off formulas at my coach. And he's like, I don't know what the hell you're saying, but. <laughs> Most people cannot relate to what you're saying. I'm not going to pretend to, um, but it's pretty impressive. Um, and it's funny that you talk about too the sort of the competitive aspect of like having fans or not having fans around. And I wanted to ask you about that because you know the, the sports that I watch the most, honestly, at this point are like football and MMA, and both mm-hmm. are sports that. I'm lucky because they're sports that are continuing in the situation that we're dealing with now, but they don't, most of the time there are no fans. And it's been really interesting watching like the, the martial arts side of it, where you can like hear um, the, the different like um, coaches and you can Corners, hear people yeah. talking to each other and you can hear the people being hit and you can see the, the lack of that, that energy and excitement that, that usually comes from having um, an audience. But I feel like, and maybe this is, I don't know, maybe this is just my opinion or it's up to interpretation, but it seems like the fights have been at least as good, if not better in that industry, at least. And I wonder if um, for a lot of people, there are people who feed off the energy and then there are people who are kind of maybe relieved that it's it's not there. Like I know, and this is why I'm not a, a, this is one of the reasons why I'm not an elite athlete because the pressure of that is insane to me. Like I would much prefer to fight, compete, perform, whatever in an empty room. I don't care if there's like a camera on me and there's a million people watching, but having the people there that are gonna like physically see and hear me be knocked unconscious, like that just fills me with like existential terror. So I wonder if like, you know, there are a lot, there's like a maybe a large portion of some of these athletes that, that are doing better as a result of it because there's just less pressure or a different kind of pressure. I think you nailed it on the head. And, uh, that's definitely, this, this is giving an opportunity just again, everything, right. This is a terrible thing that's happening, but there's going to be opportunities for certain people, certain types of certain businesses that are really going to flourish during this terrible time. Um, and I think you're right. I think a lot of these fighters that maybe who the nerves got the better of them don't really have that or have less of it and are able to overperform from, you know, what we've seen in the past. Um, I've got a funny joke. I was talking about my brother. My brother's a great athlete. He's actually a much better athlete than me, just more physically talented. Um, didn't have like the discipline and the work ethic, like, like I do or the, or the focus. But the biggest thing about him is like, if he could fight in a closet, he'd be a world champion. Mm. You know, he, he's that, he's that, he's the kind of the athlete, like you said, mm-hmm. um, if there's no eyes on him, I mean, the guy's, the guy's a sick athlete and a, and a killer fighter, yeah. but I'm the opposite. Uh, you know, if, if I don't have the eyes, I don't have the energy, I don't have the same, um, the same drive or the same passion, the same feeling, you know, uh, passion is a big, big reason of why I fight. This sport's dangerous and I don't need to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So if I didn't love it, if I didn't, if I didn't yearn to do it, I wouldn't do it. And part of that yearning, I think is, is, um, the energy around what that's like walking down the tunnel and then seeing the fans. I'm getting tingling, literally talking about it right now, going through, and literally hood up, walking through the tunnel, boom, and then you step into the arena and you're looking at 
10, 15,000 people. And they're screaming to the point of there, you can't even hear your own ring music. And getting closer and closer to that ring, which has a beacon of light on top of it, shining. You know, it's it, the, like you said, the intensity, the pressure, the anxiety surrounding that is next level. Um, and you either flourish there or yeah. it makes you cower. Yeah. And I wonder sometimes, I guess, like psychology obviously is very bio-individual, but I wonder, like for me, I feel like it's almost more, because I preach this a lot on the podcast, this concept of like confidence through competence. And especially when I speak mm. to women who maybe don't have an athletic background, because it is something that is so um, ingrained in people who are athletes, you, you, you do get this inherent confidence from being good at something, from showing your competency in a sport or in, in school or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and so the things that you truly feel competent in or good at, you are willing to take those crazy risks and get up in front of people and, and put yourself out there. Like I think about, again, on a completely different level, but the, the kinds of things that I do, um, like whether it's public speaking or even like the uh, bodybuilding career where you get up on stage in front of a bunch of people wearing no clothes. And I was never afraid of that because I really felt like I was, I was in control of that situation. But when you're in there with somebody else, you're not 100% in control of what's going to happen, no matter how fucking good you are. I'm sorry, right? So like, that's where the fear comes in, because I'm not in control of exactly what's happening. But, you know, on the other side of it, if you with your psychology and your training feel like you are in control, then maybe some of that fear is not there for you. So that, that was exactly what I was going to say. I was like, yeah. with me, I don't have that feeling where it's like, Oh, I'm not in total control of this. I'm like, yeah, in my mind I am. And because yeah. I, I, I feel like I, you know, I started out in martial arts. I went to, you know, I wrestled in high school at a high level and then kickboxing and boxing. And all of those sports are about control because yeah. they're one-on-one, -on -one, right? It's me controlling you. It's you not being able to hurt me or score on me or knock me out and me being able to do what I want to do. So for me, it's all about control. So when I'm walking to the ring, as long as I'm, like you said, competent, conditioned and prepared, yeah. I am mentally confident that I'm going to be in control of what's going to happen. And if anything does go, goes go awry, because it does and it will, yeah. I, I'm confident that I can right the ship and get back to work. Yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, that's the difference between a professional athlete and somebody who just likes to watch. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So you mentioned kickboxing. So I have to ask you, what are your favorite or least favorite um, movies about fighting? Because I know like people who are either professional athletes or like military, like people who have a specific set of experiences either love to watch movies about their their job or they hate mm -hmm. it because they're just like picking it apart the whole time or you can you know have a good time with it. What I'm asking is, do you enjoy Jean-Claude Van Damme's Kickboxer? Yes. <laughs> like oh my gosh, right? He's like my hero. He's so he's the best. He's my um, his, hero too. His movies are ridiculous, but they're so awesome. And uh, I have, I've got a joke that if I don't make a BC type movie where I'm a Jean Claude type character, right? uh, my career has not reached its its full capacity. But that's, uh, that's yeah, no that yeah yeah that that um, that movie in particular. I mean, I think that. I, I don't know. I don't know how old you are when you were born. I'm I'm an '84 guy in the '80s, so like that was we're the when... same age. Okay, yeah. so those were those movies: Van Damme, uh, Dolph Lundgren, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Those were the action, the real action heroes. Yeah. And uh, being a fighter and being someone who was involved in martial arts, of course, kickboxer was was a big one. But in terms of um, in terms of breaking movies down about like how realistic they are. I don't think there was ever really any good kickboxing movies. Boxing, there's been really good ones. Raging Bull, um, I think is phenomenal on so many levels. 
and not just the fight scenes, because the fight scenes are actually very good. Robert De Niro actually had, I think, three or four amateur boxing fights in preparation for the role. Um, he moved like a fighter. The scenes looked pretty, you know, pretty realistic. Some parts, not so much. Some, you know, especially a lot of the time, well, in movies, everyone punches each other so damn much. It's not re realistic. Mm -hmm. But um, he moved the right a fighter, even in outside the ring. The way his mannerisms, his, his, his personality. Um, also, they dipped really deep into the psychology and the darkness of what being a fighter is like. So that movie... I think was so well done and realistic to what, you know, fighters actually go through in those perils. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. A, a um, movie that I actually liked that was really bad in that sense was The Fighter. The fight scenes are awful. Was that, uh, was that a Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mark, okay. I can still call him Marky Mark. Mark Wahlberg, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, it's funny though, cause uh, you know, again, I feel, I literally feel the same way. Like one of the reasons I got into bodybuilding was not because I was on Instagram looking at like bikini girls. It's because I grew up watching Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Like I have an older brother. Like I think that's where it came from, but Bloodsport's my favorite. I like, yep. I'm more of a Bloodsport girl than Kickboxer. I gotta say, I literally watched Kickboxer again, like a week ago, cause I've just been going back through like things that make me happy, you know, on the internet, instead of watching other things that don't make me happy. And, Did it hold um, up for you? You know what? It didn't age as well as Bloodsport. I gotta say, there were some, there were some, I think problematic parts of that movie that like you could get away with in the 80s that maybe you couldn't get away with as much uh these days still very entertaining the you know the dance scene like Jean-Claude I mean amazing um but I still I'm more of a Bloodsport girl if I had to pick one of those like a Desert Island movie Bloodsport does it for I me, so. honestly so I love how you brought it up like you watched it again recently and I, I kind of have too and there are like especially the scenes with like his his like sensei or whatever and some of that stuff is just off the wall, but yeah, Bloodsport um, still holds up. Yeah. Like that's, that's a good movie. I was definitely more of a kickboxer fan when I was when I was a kid, yeah. but uh, I think now as an adult, I appreciate Bloodsport way more. Yeah, how is it being um, like in someone's corner versus you being the athlete? Like, is it tough for you to? Because I guess you you're like a nutritionist for other athletes, right? That's something that you do. Uh, I've been a nutritionist. I've also worked the corner in terms of technique and I've been, um, uh, so for example, like, uh, my, my, my most famous client is, is, um, is Daniel Jacobs, you know, two-time middleweight champion in the world, cancer survivor, uh, tremendous, tremendous athlete. Um, probably one of the best athletes I've ever been that close to and seen, seen perform and train. And with him, you know, we were friends first, then I got brought on as a nutritionist and then turned into one of his coaches kind of, and I worked his corner for, for five fights, uh, four fights rather. And I was in his corner as a nutritionist for five fights. And, uh, you know, that, that was a, uh, multi-role or multi-hat wearing role. Mm -hmm. So for him, it was like, you know, I had sparred with him. I had helped miss for him. I had, you know, watched tape with him. So for me in the corner with him, I really was, I was very involved with who he was as a fighter on many levels. So for me, it was very easy to cut my own thoughts out of it and just, just focus on what my, my client needs. And, and it was very important for me that I wanted him to not only win, but also not get hurt. Mm -hmm. So, and that's a big thing. So I, I have a lot of trouble watching my friends fight because I know how dangerous this sport is and I don't know how prepared they are compared to how prepared I know I am when I, you know, am, am ready to fight. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, for him, it's, it, it was a little different, but yeah, I, I, I will say I don't like it. I don't like being in the corner. I don't like working from that side because when you win, it doesn't feel as good as when I win. Mm -hmm. And when you lose, it feels almost as bad as when you lose. So yeah. it's like when they lose, you lose too as a part of the team. And when you win, you don't get that extra hype. So uh, I, I don't love it. Mm. 
So, okay, as a as a children of the mid 80s that we are, um, one of the things that I've been appreciating is the increase in older athletes just yeah. killing it in general because of technology, because of the way we can take care of ourselves, because of our understanding of nutrition. It makes me happy as somebody who does not feel old, but is told watching sports that, you know, you're over the hill at 31, right? Like yeah. I like seeing that there are people our age who are like, not just barely hanging on, but are excelling. Um, and it seems like 30, like your mid thirties, mid to late thirties are like an interesting time where it really starts to become apparent if you take care of yourself, you know, like, cause there are people in their mid thirties that are performing, looking like they're in their mid twenties. And then there are people in their mid thirties that are like, and everything hurts and I'm dying for the rest of my life. And that's just the way it is because I'm in my mid thirties now. Right. Which mm -hmm. I like to reject because I'm like, speak for yourself. It just, you got to take, you got to start paying attention to these things more now. Right. Um, how are you feeling about performing and competing and being an elite athlete at this time in your life? Like, are, are things different? Do you have um, sort of considerations that you didn't have earlier? How, how do you feel about that? Well, a thousand percent. Um, my 36 year old body is different than my 26 year old body, but also my 36 year old mind is better, is different than my 26 year old mind. Um, you know, probably uh, a man's physical peak is, yeah, it's around those thirties, uh, you know, like 29, 30, 28, 29, 30, especially in the sport of boxing. Um, my last three opponents were, were 28 years old and under you know, and I'm 35, 36 years old and outworking them, outlasting everybody. So like for me, you know, that's always been a strong part of, of, of my game is, is my conditioning. Um, and I don't feel like I've had any loss of that where I do feel a difference is my recovery, which means I just have to be much more conscious of what I do in between sessions. I have to be more conscious of the strain I put on my body. Um, I've been really, really focusing on my sleep the last couple of years really, really picked up my sleep game. And that was one of those things I think when I was younger, it didn't matter as much, or maybe it did, but it, it, it didn't seem like it mattered as much. So um, I didn't focus on it. Now it's, I don't, I don't set alarms. I haven't for a long time, but I don't set alarms. And if I wake up and I don't feel ready to train, I don't. Mm -hmm. And there, there is no, there is no ifs, ands, or buts. I need sleep. I need to rest. I need, I need my body to provide, I need my brain to recover. Um, so that's become a major, major priority, but then just all, you know, other things like ice baths, um, you know, electric stim machines, body work, massages, um, uh, flotation tanks, deprivation tanks. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of all those things, more yoga, less running, mm -hmm. more bike work, more swimming, things like that. Just kind of shifting. My training volume has not changed at all hmm. at, at this stage of my, of my life. I don't, I don't think I train any less than I did, but I definitely have changed up maybe work out in duration and, and definitely my intensities. I think I train harder at certain place, certain times, and I train uh, less and other times, like less intense. Do you have any thoughts in your head for how long you want to continue to compete? Like, do you think like, I'm going to retire at this age or I'm going to retire when I feel a certain way? Or, or how do you feel about that? Well, I told everyone when I was a teenager that I was going to be, uh, I was going to win th three world titles by the age of 30, make a million dollars and retire. So, uh, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not putting, I'm not putting numbers or time because it does. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to be when I'm 38 or 40. You know, I didn't know I was going to be as good as I feel now at, at 36 going on 37. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to put an age to it. I put it at this point where as long as I compete, I can compete at the level where I see myself, which is at the top of the world. And I want to do it and I want to get up and train. I'll fight. 
do you have any recommendations for uh, an extremely amateur at home southpaw who has a bob in the corner of my home gym mm -hmm. and i so i i was doing so i'm i'm back and forth between new york and canada and when i was in new york i was working out at a boxing gym mm -hmm. and so i was learning and i was learning how to do it properly and then i came back to canada and covid hit and i was doing like online so they were doing like online classes and i was kind of doing my own thing and then yeah. i've since kind of stopped from that and i'm starting to feel a little bit like I've taken it as far as I can without having like a coach or somebody to like watch me and be there and work with me and whatever. Um, but I still very much like uh, that element of training and I like the catharsis and I like the like aggression and I like how good a workout it is. Um, what, do you have any recommendations for me? What I should do? Yeah, totally. So essentially, you know, it's bag work, right? You're, you're, you're hitting like a heavy bag, a stationary bag. Um, I, I would say, cause there's so many different ways to hit a heavy bag and how to use it. I mean, you can, you can do a lot of footwork on a movement around it, or you can stand still and just whack it and whatever. And that's fine. And I think breaking up your workouts that way, um, I wouldn't say go out there and be like, all right, I'm just going to do eight rounds. Like I'm in a fight and I'm just going to move and act like I'm in a fight the whole time. And it honestly gets, it gets boring that way. And also you have to be so imaginative to do that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people aren't really at that level to do that. So I tell people, especially when they're first setting out, take one or two punches and do that for an entire round. And it's okay. It's repetitive, whatever, but like you just focus on really like say, for example, I'm going to throw, you know, uh, uh, your southpaw. So I'm gonna you're going to throw your right hook, really practice on thinking about your good technique, get your position and mechanical as hell, rotate out, throw the punches and do it over and over and over. So where you can get multiple punches in a row that feel the same way. Cause you know, when you land a good punch, it feels good, right? It feels mm -hmm. a certain way. Ooh, that was a good one. You know, mm -hmm. try and get that over and over and over again. Once you get that, go to another punch. Maybe you, now you go your straight left, right? Do that over and over. Um, and then go back to the right hook and see if you can find that, that same feeling and that rotation and, and that groove is really what it is. You're grooving the movement. Um, so I think people get too broke, too concerned about looking good rather than doing something that, um, you know, can be really beneficial from one, a technique standpoint, but also from a, a muscular physiology standpoint, mm -hmm. the rotation and using those muscles for those kind of shots and also doing it hard and intense really makes a big difference when it comes to fitness. Yeah. I mean, you got to get your reps in, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you find like coaching or fighting or working with Southpaws, like, is there, is there anything unique about it? Or is it just like, you're just doing the opposite? Cause I found like when I was training with coaches, I was always pretty much the only one, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's just, there's not as many of us. We're like 10% of the population or something. And so there was always for me, like a 15 second delay while I like switched it in my head, what everybody else was mm. doing. Um, mm. but then I've read things that like Southpaws sometimes have like advantages in fights because they are more rare. And so maybe people haven't trained with them as much or they don't, they can't interpret it as well. What do you think about that? hundred percent. It's a, it's a different world. It's not, it's not like, Oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to turn around and do something because, because most Southpaws are fighting righties, orthodox, right? They're fighting people with their right, with their power hand. So uh, right away, they have, they have more experience, more time fighting the opposite stance. A lot of times the Southpaws side Southpaws, they have a lot of trouble because they're not used to that. So their advantage lies more in their experience, but also their advantage lies because there's not so many Southpaws that the orthodox fighter doesn't know the Southpaw rules right. and tricks. And there's right. three main rules when it comes to fighting a Southpaw or being a Southpaw. One is okay. keeping your front foot on the outside of your opponent's front foot. Okay. Right. Because your 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 front feet are, are toe to toe. You're basically a mirror image of each other, right? Mm -hmm. Which is dangerous because the, the openings are different. Mm -hmm. So you're toe to toe. You always want to have your foot 
lead foot on the outside of their foot. That way they're in between your power punch zone, which is in between your legs. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to hit hard outside of your legs, mm -hmm. right? You know, punching behind you basically. So keeping a, an opponent in between your, your stance, that power range is very important. That's rule number one. Number two is to avoid their power hand, which is going to be their, their rear hand, which is going to be their right hand. So that means as a southpaw, you're going to be moving to your right side, moving to your lead foot. You don't want to walk into their mm -hmm. power punch, right? Mm -hmm. so that's the simultaneously cuts off the use of their jab, which doesn't line up that great anyway. And also you're always moving away from their power hand. Um, and then maybe not lastly, but yeah, I guess so. The third, the third one is that you're going to use your straight left as your jab because that's where the opening is. If you think about, if you think about where your hands line up, mm -hmm. the straight left goes in between the hands. Yeah. where the jab is going to be head to head with this punch. Yeah. So the southpaw jab is less important um, than maybe than, than an orthodox fighter would use against another orthodox fighter. So the straight left hand becomes almost like your jab and your power punch becomes that right hook, which is why I mentioned that when you're hitting the back. Yeah. So use your straight left to get in, put your head to the outside, and that right hook is really going to be your power shot. Oh, I'm like getting better just sitting here listening to you. That's super helpful, actually. But it's also kind of sad to me because I find, and I don't know if this is normal either, but I'm sure everybody has like favorite punches just be mm -hmm. just due to physiology or, you mm -hmm. know, what they practice the most, yep. most, but I really like the jab and like the right hook, like those mm -hmm. feel good to me. And I actually have a harder time with like the straight left. Cause I just, I don't know. There's just, it just doesn't. And I also feel like being a lefty, I'm very ambidextrous. So there are only some things yep. that I'm left-handed at like boxing mm -hmm. and like shoot, you know, I'm not even shoot, shooting. I shoot guns like right-handed like it, literally it's like writing with a pencil and boxing are the only things that I'm lefty with so that that's actually very very useful information for me because now I know I need to like get better at so two things well one I'm, I'm ambidextrous as well and I'm okay. I switch on multiple sports baseball bat I can swing either way uh I golf yeah, lefty. Uh, I can write either hand I write like 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 terribly with both hands um <laughs> I can only draw up my right um, but boxing, uh, my left hand is my favorite, is my favorite punch, my favorite hand. Huh. I'm probably stronger with my right. Um, kicking, so kicking. I mean, I, I can kick well with either leg, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. When you're ambidextrous, it's weird. You know, some things just work out different ways. It's harder, but, but it's also kind of better for you. Cause if you can, oh, yeah. you know, there are some people who are so one handed that they are completely useless with the other side of their body. hundred percent. No, yeah. especially in fight sports, it's really important to have, you know, two sides. Um, but when, oh, back to what you're saying about the jab. So you can still jab. I'm not saying don't throw your jab away, but it's just a different kind of jab because you've got to kind of find where the gloves are. So a lot of times using like an up jab, like almost like your thumb is up to go in between the guard or an over the overhand jab, like where you're going over that jab, which um, great fighter for you to watch is uh, Vasily Lomachenko. Okay. Especially in his last fight when he fought Teofimo Lopez, even though he lost, um, he did a great job of using both jabs in one combination. He'd throw one up the middle, he'd pull back, make his opponent reach, and then jab over the top and landed very hard jabs that way. So that's that's a perfect uh, you know way to some, see someone show both of the southpaw jabs and utilize them okay. well. All right, that's very helpful. Thank you. I love uh, podcasting because I get to ask selfish questions of experts and be like, this is for work. It's going to help other people too. <laughs> I'm sure that's it what, will. That's what yeah. podcasting is. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Um, you get people on you want to talk to and then you get answers. Thanks. 100%. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, what do you uh, What do you do um, for fun when you're not training and even like sports or, or physically, like when you have like an off day or an active rest day or you have a couple days off, what do you like to do? I, um, I am begrudgingly admitting that I'm a runner. Um, mm -hmm. I, 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 
it just turned out I'm a good runner. I didn't, I didn't never ran in high school. I never ran. Um, I ran to get in shape for wrestling or to make weight as, and I was, when I was younger and I was very short in high school and I had growths right in the middle and I literally shot right up and I was, I, I think I started at five feet tall. And by the time I left high school, I was about five foot 10. So yeah. my body changed dramatically and I just be, became mechanically a runner. Um, and again, I was running for, for, for wrestling and to make weight and whatnot. And then I remember I was making my pro kickboxing de- debut my freshman year of college. And I took a running class because it was one credit and it helped me train for my fight. So I was like, yeah, I got, I got scheduled uh, training time and I'm going to get my, my, my road work in. And I'm running and, and, and the, the, uh, the teacher of the, co- of the course was a coach in another school. And he goes, hey, man, you have some great running technique. Have you ever thought about running? And I'm like, I'm running right now. What do you mean? He goes, no, no, like, like for, for a team, like for the team. And I'm like, uh, no, 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 I'm a fighter. Like, I was just like, I'm so against it. And as, as the semester went on, I got in better shape, closer to fight. He's like, listen, I'm going to give your, t- your times to the, to the running coach here, uh, the track coach. I'm like, don't do that. I don't, I don't, I don't want to run. And he did. And the track coach approached me and he was like, hey, we could, we could work something out. We would love to have you in the team. I'm like, I'm a fighter. I don't, like, I'm not a runner. And I've always been like, I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner, but I'm a runner. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so a lot of times I, I run, um, when I'm off, I will do a lot of long distance stuff. Okay. Um, 10, 12, 13 milers, 14, 15, you know, like just on a Sunday, I got a buddy who's a very good runner and we'll just go out. And that's kind of how we catch up as men. Mm-hmm. We sit there and we talk and we run 14, 15 miles together. Um, and, uh, yeah, pretty much if I don't have any boxing, I'll run a lot more than I do. But when it comes to boxing training, the, the, the carryover is so minimal yeah. that I don't do much. Yeah. That's interesting. That kind of brings me into sort of some of the nutrition conversation that I want to have because, um, you would think, well, I suppose with boxing, you're certainly not trying to, in most cases, like gain a ton of muscle. It's more about your power, your strength, um, Mm -hmm. making weight, whatever, being light, being quick, all of those things. So it's not like as a boxer, you're necessarily super focused on like, how much muscle can I pack on? Um, because there's always the conversation about how you can cross train. Like, can I run while I do CrossFit or can I be a power lifter and still do like endurance racing and all that kind of stuff. But I would imagine that maybe unless you're getting into a ton of long distance running that that would only help to a certain point, right? Cause it's improving your conditioning. It's like keeping your weight, it's keeping you lean, like that kind of thing. It works out well, right? I would imagine. Yeah. And um, just to kind of touch on what you said about like, like gaining weight or working on muscle. I actually do. I try to gain muscle in between fights. And I, I, I tell everyone and my, my manager will say to me, he's like, man, he's like, what do you weigh? You look big and strong. I'm like, I'm like yeah, I'm, I'm always fit. I'm always, I'm always strong. I'm always working. Um, but I consider I'm building my armor. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm building my, I'm building muscle. I'm getting bigger. I'm working on hypertrophy. I'm, tr- I'm, I'm getting stronger. I'm building more muscle fibers because by the time my three month camp, my 11, 12, 10 week camp is over, I'm going to melt down yeah. and we're going to get rid of all the body fat, all the extra weight, high performance vehicle, high horsepower, lightweight. You know, by the time I get there, I'm going to be very, very, very lean. I need to protect my organs, my body. And, and that muscle is going to help that, that muscle density. Once we come to fight week, um, I'm not going to lose all of it. I'm going to lose some because you never lose weight without losing muscle. You never lose body fat without losing muscle. Yeah. Um, and I, so I definitely lose muscle as the camp goes on. But the more muscle I have going into camp, the more I'll have to spare by the end. And also that's going to be, like I said, protect my organs and make sure that my, my body armor is strong. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's a high impact sport. You're yeah. going to get hit. I don't care how good you are at defense. Your body is going to get hit. Even if it's not your head, you're not taking a lot of damage to your face or your skull, your arms, your shoulders, your body, your ribs, your abs, everything is going to get hit. Um, so having, having that muscle density, I think is really important. I think that's something that a lot of fighters lack, um, and why they probably come out of fights 
a lot more beat up than they should be. Okay, everybody, just a couple quick minutes. Let me tell you about today's show sponsor, Don't Fast Forward, my favorite people, Ancestral Supplements. Has there ever been a company that spoke more to my soul? I don't think so. These guys are very on board with the nose to tail movement and the concept that eating the whole animal guts and all, is the healthiest and most sustainable natural way to do it. They also know that maybe it isn't the most practical thing in the world to just eat kidneys and brains and hearts all day, like I do a lot of the time, if we're being honest. So they've conveniently processed and desiccated these high-quality animal superfoods into pill form for those of you who, you know, aren't maybe ready for a tongue sandwich yet. And no, that is not me being dirty. I literally made a buffalo tongue sandwich the other day, and it was delicious, but that's a whole other topic. Anyway, they have a huge range of offerings from beef liver to a combination of, of beef organs to heart to kidney to bone marrow, tallow, collagen, lung, you name it. Um, and all of them kind of address specific needs or micronutrient requirements Um And you can kind of pick and choose and and play with them depending on what you need. And you can reach out to them directly and ask, and they will be happy to give you more information. They're super transparent. Look, I'm one of those people who actually eats organ meat, but when I'm not eating it as much, because maybe I don't have any in my fridge, I'm traveling, I'm just not feeling it, um, I use their supplements. And look, I'm just being honest, I haven't had a cold in years. I've got pretty good health and blood markers and all that stuff. And I really believe that that is in large part due to my nutrient dense diet. So if you want to give their products a try, go over there, uh, ancestralsupplements.com or use the link in the show notes, uh, reach out to them on Instagram at ancestral supplements, tell them I sent you seriously. If you send them an email or a message on social media, they will get back to you. They're amazing like that. So go check them out and use the code maven 10 for a discount. Um, I would start, I would recommend starting with either the beef organ complex or the beef liver, just because you're going to get the most bang for your buck nutritionally. But they, like I said, have all kinds of options. So go and figure it out for yourself, learn a little bit, ask some questions and give it a shot, right? I mean, you really can't lose. So jump on the meathead bandwagon with me, guys. Check out Ancestral Supplements, use the code MAVEN10. And now back to this amazing interview that I just interrupted. Yeah. Uh, how much weight are you losing in a camp? Like how much, like what do you, what weight do you walk around at versus fight at? Yeah. I like to, um, and I tell this to my guys as well. I like to spend the majority of my, like the bulk of my, my skill training, like the race pace or like the uh, tempo training, like which is going to be sparring about 10% above my weight class. So if my weight class is 140, about 14 pounds up. So I'll be about 155, 154. And then leading into fight week, it'll be about a 10 pound pull. Um, and that's pretty easy to do, you know, if, if you can get within that, but there are times just, just everything, every fight's different. Every camp is different. Every weight cut's different. Sometimes you got more, sometimes you get less. Sometimes the ones that are less are more painful than the ones where you have more when Mm -hmm. it comes to the the final cut. Um, but yeah, but I say, if I stay, if I stay within, um, you know, 10 to 12% of the weight class, and I tell my guys this too, for the guys who are around that middle weights, um, it's, it's very doable and, and can be done very healthy as well. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that you said too, you know, that when you are cutting weight and usually if you are doing it relatively quickly or for some of these people who are trying to lose like 30, 40 pounds and, you know, 10 weeks or less or whatever, that it's inevitable that when you're losing fat, you're, you're going to lose some muscle mass too, especially when you're getting to a, p- a place that is 
very lean. Like maybe mm-hmm. for you, you're a lean guy. You're always lean, but I would imagine still like, you know, your fight weight is a little bit maybe leaner than you are comfortably going to hang out. Right. So, um, yeah, because no. I think there is still this conversation, like this constant kind of debate of like, how can we, um, play with the science so that we can lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. Whereas it seems to be from my experience and what you're saying, it's like you use the, that training period or that off period to gain as much muscle as possible. And conversely, you're probably getting within reason, body. within reason, within reason. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're going to gain some fat as you do that, right? Because mm-hmm. as you're eating more calories, you're working harder, you need to fuel yourself. And so you do that during that period so that you're minimizing your muscle loss when you have to cut and you inevitably are going to lose, right? I just think it's good to clarify this for people because I think there are some people who still think like there's some sort of magic button somewhere that allows you to just purely lose fat and keep all the muscle that you have, which just isn't really how our bodies work. No, it's not realistic at all. And I I will say this flat out, abs are cool, but 98% of people in the world shouldn't have them all the time. Some people just have them. Some people are just are very lean and it has a lot to do with your heritage, your background, your ethnicity, where your, where your family comes from. Um, you know, think about warmer places. Everyone's really lean because you don't need body fat. It's an insulator. So if it's very hot out, you don't need body fat. So th- those, those people are going to carry percentages less body fat in a healthful way without having any negative effects. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, people from colder regions, you know, they, body fat's important. And that's why, you know, it it insulates the body, insulates your organs. So those people are going to be a little um, less lean than, than, than other people. And and you got to kind of understand that so many people are like, I need to look like that. I want to be that. I want to have abs all year round. Metabolically, that's not going to be healthy for most people. Like you said, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a lean guy. And honestly, if I don't really, if I don't work out or I don't do, or I don't eat the right way, I'd lose weight. I get skinnier, you know, and like, that's, that's kind of the kind of, the kind of person that, that I am. I have to work really hard to maintain where I'm at and putting on body fat for me is a good thing. It's important for me. Like you said, for making those strength gains, um, I don't need to be lean all year round. I think when I retire, I'm going to be leaner more than, than I am when I'm actually in a competitive because I'm, I'm, I'm actively trying to up my calories, up my strength, up my, you know, my, 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 my mass. Um, because like you said, you're, everyone wants, I'm going to gain muscle and lose body fat at the same time. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not the way, you know, you, you either got to be in a caloric deficit or you got to be eating more calories, you know, to grow. So, uh, people need to get more realistic about physiology and how it works. So when you, uh, when you retire, you're just going to be like beach bod all day long. You're like, I don't care yeah. about performance anymore. I'm just going to look good. Why not? I can't wait to work out for looks. That's going to be, that's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> I can just... say as somebody who's done it for a couple of years, it is pretty fun, but yeah, yeah, it also isn't super sustainable. And I mean, to like to continue what you're saying specifically for women, right? Because I'm, that's, that's an audience that I'm going to speak to because I understand it. Um, mm-hmm. we, it's the same thing. We look online and we see these fitness people that we admire and emulate. And we think that we should train the same way as them. We should eat the same way as them. And we're going to end up looking the same way as them. We don't know the whole story. We also don't understand sometimes or connect the fact that this is their profession and their job is to literally have abs on the internet. Um, and women, even more so than men are really not supposed to, most of us supposed to have six packs all the time. Great. If you want to do this, this very kind of extreme specific thing to get to a certain leanness so you can take some pictures and look really good for a while. Great. Within reason, be smart. But I think that there is, and this is what I want to talk to you about with, um, your book as well, is there is this kind of disconnect that is growing with this online community that we have where, because we have access to 
famous people to elite fighters, we think that we are the same and we think that we should be able to have the same results. We think we should be able to eat the same and look the same and have the same resources. And it's just silly and it's pants and it's problematic for a lot of people too, because it creates really harmful, unrealistic expectations on ourselves. Um, and I think we, yeah, we just need to realize that we aren't all famous people. We're not all Kardashians. We're not all famous boxers. Like, you know, we, we can't do that. We we don't live that way. We don't live in that world, but it's a problem. That's, that's really funny. You brought that up. Cause I literally have people reach out and they're like, man, you have the best physique. Like I want to, I want to, you know, be like that. I'm like, I'm a professional athlete, dude. Like, this is what I do for a living. Like, uh, you, you, the training, my training volume is a full-time job. My, my every meal is, is, per, is curated for exactly what my goal is. Uh, and, and I've studied it. So I know what I'm doing. Like, we're not the same thing. <laughs> you know, like we're we can't, not you, the same. Yeah. we're not the same thing. Um, but that's, that's funny. You brought that up, but, but we gotta uh, be okay with it is the thing. Yeah. Cause like, again, I'm somebody who's sort of in the middle, like I'm not a professional athlete, but I'm in the fitness industry. I, I learn my entire life is learning about this, experimenting with it, trying things, being fit, learning about myself. And so I have moments where I'm like, this is my job. If I get 10 pounds heavier, cause I'm lazy and stressed out for three months, like that's, that's a, that's disgraceful. That's a no-no. Like, this yeah, is, that's, yeah, this is my yeah. job to, to do this. And even I recognize that the people that I'm talking to on this podcast and the people that I'm learning from, we are not the same. And it's a constant battle to sort of, that battle of, I don't want to um, settle and give up and say, okay, well, I'm not a professional athlete and now I'm old and like, whatever, who cares, you know? But also understanding where I am, what's realistic, what's sustainable, what's gonna still allow me to have a good life that I enjoy and be healthy mm -hmm. and be metabolically healthy and then still look good and be fit. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's, and as somebody who has trained for things that are kind of extreme and really intense, I, I believe you can correct me. Cause you're, you know, if you disagree because you are a professional athlete, I think it's often easier for people's psychology to follow extremely strict and restrictive diets than it is to figure out the sustainable, reasonable, healthy diet. That's going to put you somewhere great in the middle, right? Like if someone tells me you have to eat only these things for four months and you have to get down to 10% body fat and you can't ever eat anything else, you can't drink ever again, whatever. I'm like, okay, like it might suck, but I get it, I, it's easy, I'm just following rules. I don't have to think, I'm doing what somebody else is telling me to do. But if somebody told me like, look, you need to find a diet that is gonna get you at a healthy weight where you look good and you perform optimally and you can still go out with your friends and you aren't, you know, checking your macros every minute and you aren't a stress case and you know, you got to figure that out. I'm like, what the hell do I do with that? That's like impossible. Right. So yeah. I don't yeah. I think, no, you're, you're onto something there. And I think, I think a lot of it has to do with the mind body disconnection that, that people develop because our body doesn't like extremes, but our brain does psychologically. We like, we like working really hard or completely off. Our body hates that. So it, it is easier for someone to say, all right, you're going to suffer for four months mm -hmm. and you're going to look great at the end of it than saying, hey, you can live well. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna be partying and you're not gonna be suffering. You're gonna be kind of in the middle and we're just gonna do that from now on. Ugh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, like, I'm, that's not what sexy. does that mean? What does yeah. that mean? I can't eat a whole cake on Saturday morning? Like, what, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. Like, you know, so yeah, psychologically, I think people like extremes. They like all the way on, all the way off, but our body doesn't like that at all. Metabolically, you know, every, every part of our body is like homeostasis is a very, very important thing. Our body burns a tremendous amount of energy maintaining that. So anytime we go above and beyond that, it, it, it causes issues. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's the mind body disconnection. Cause I think that is really the key. And especially whenever I've worked with, with, um, 
uh, non-athletes, it's like, that's, that's the key connecting this with this, mm-hmm. listening to that. Cause this is telling us things all the time. It is mm-hmm. constantly communicating with our mind. And so many people are so disconnected because of, I mean, everything life, mm-hmm. but, um, but also just not, just not, not really looking internally. So, um, that's, that's, I think that's a huge issue when it comes to just overall fitness. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we, even when we are like, our bodies are starting to tell us things that we're picking up on. We still have this like, uh, friction between intrinsic motivators and extrinsic ones. So like, even if our body is like, just be normal and like do normal stuff and eat like a normal person, we still have this like turning on social media and seeing a person we want to look like. And so we're like, all right, I'll just, you know, forgo what my body is actually telling me to do and try to do this stupid shit just so I can like look, try to look like this person. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a struggle. So many people, I think, uh, it's almost like you have to, you have to go through it and make your own mistakes first before you figure out, you know, what, what makes sense and find that unsexy, happy medium. Um, but tell me about, tell me about your book, um, fighter's kitchen. Like, tell me about why you wrote that and, uh, and what's, what it's about. I don't have a copy yet. I'm going to have to get one so I can make some food, but I'll, I'll, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta do a, a swap. Switch, I'll yes. send you one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the book came about from, honestly, I, I learned how to cook from being in, in training camps. Um, I learned pretty early on in my career that New York was not a great place to train. Um, so I was taking whatever money I could get together and doing my training camps in Oxnard, California, in Las Vegas, in South Florida. Um, New York, one, the winters suck. Um, two, it's super expensive. So being a tra- doing a training camp there was, was really tough. And just the, the population of fighters, there just wasn't that many people who were like, real professional fighters who did it year round. Whereas in places like Oxnard, you had a gym full of killers, you know, the, the kid in and out burger could knock out a world champion, you know? So like I would go out there and was training with those guys and I was living in hotels. So I would literally buy a hot plate. I had a microwave and a small fridge and I would just make my meals from that. And, um, a lot of the meals in the book actually came from stuff like that. Hmm. I grew up in family. My, my, my mother's from Argentina. So and I live with my grandparents who are Argentinian. My, my father's Italian. So it's two, two sides that are very culturally um, centered around food. Mm-hmm. So um, there was always that growing up, food, 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 food. Um, and then my background as a wrestler, like, uh, cutting weight sucked. I ruined my, 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 high school, my high school career sucked because I was just focused on making weight all the time. And it was awful. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I was really dumb about it. We, as we all were. So I was like, man, there's gotta be a better way to do this. You know, long story short, I got my master's degree in nutrition. So now I'm got a master's. I know what's going on. I can cook. And I was cooking for myself all through camp because all my camps fighting training is very, very tough on the mind for me. Cooking is very relaxing. So I come home from a long day at, at, at the gym and I can cook. And I can just focus on that. I don't have to focus on the media. I don't have to focus on doing podcasts. I don't have to focus on, you know, who's calling me to ask who I want to fight next or what you think about this guy. He just said this about you, blah, blah, blah. I can just focus on that. And there's so many steps involved with cooking. So I just loved cooking. And I was in training camp for, to fight Manny Pacquiao. And I had this huge industrial kitchen that uh, my training camp had. And I'm cooking these, these meals. And they, they were getting more and more attention on social media and people were like, man, what is the recipe for that? What is the recipe for this? And I was writing some of them down. I was like, man, I'm talking to my manager. I'm like, I'm going to write a cookbook. He's like, you should food's great. Started writing things down. Um, long story short, my career really, you know, obviously was taking off and I didn't have as much time and things kind of got crazy. And then uh, random public house, public house reached out and like, Hey, we want, we need you to, we want you to author this book. What do you think? Cool. I already, I already, I already got like 50 recipes. He's like, all right, we need a hundred. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and then that's how it came to be. 
That's okay. All right. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I had kind of an atypical uh, story about how my book came to life too. But first of all, I love that the just casual Manny Pacquiao drop there. Mm. I'm like, I actually thought about it. I'm like, can I ask him or is he going to be like, stop asking me? Like, do you get tired of, I mean, I guess that's part of the job, right? Like when you're yeah, an athlete no, you and especially mm -hmm. you have these like really super, super like high level fights, like that's going to be something you're going to have you're going to talk about for the rest of your life. Like you're yeah. cool with it. You're cool with mm -hmm. it. You don't sure. get tired of time. I mean, I guess if you love it, right. You love it. That's, you know, and even if I don't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It is, you know, this is, it's, 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 um, the thing about being on the world stage in anything is your past, your history is shared. Like that, that happened. It didn't happen in a bubble. It didn't happen in my mind. It happened from, and millions of people saw it. And anyone can look it up. It, it doesn't, it, it, I can't sit there and hoard the experience because it's not all mine. Um, if there's my, my perception of how that went, but it's, it's a shared experience We're, we all live in the same place, you know, like the, the, the world is the world, you know, and like everybody, everybody's seen it. Everybody's seen those fights. People love those fights and they reach out to me. And a lot of people, they just literally want to hear some cool little tidbit that's going to make their day. Mm -hmm. And who am I to deny that? That's a really cool way of looking at it uh, that I never really thought about. But I guess, you know, I think about um, memorable events that I've been to, that I sat there like at Madison Square Garden and watched this fight that would, like that happened to me too. Like, I feel like mm -hmm. it happened to me because it was yeah. this incredibly memorable, incredible experience. And yeah, you were the person who put it on. And of course, we're going to want to hear what you think about it. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. a, that's a cool perspective. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any tidbits? Like, okay. So I'll get, I'll ask you a specific question then. Do you mm -hmm. have, um, and you, I'm sure you've probably answered this a million times, but do you have any weird pre or post fight rituals? Like things that you do just for yourself with yourself, things that you're thinking about saying, listening to doing, uh, yeah, I got one before and one, one pre and one post. So pre, um, this has been actually, that's not really a, re a recent thing. I usually have a, a, a fight mantra like a fight specific mantra, like what's something that I have that is going to, that I'm going to repeat in my mind over and over. I'm literally every, every fight I've, I've must've said this, that saying or word or whatever, tens and twenties and thirties and thousands of times leading up to the event. Um, uh, like for example, when I, when I fought for the world title in 2014, the, the, the camp mantra was end the new because I was fighting the defending world champion. And when, when they announced the scores and they go back and forth, they, you know, they say, and you're, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting this. And when they say, end the new, you know, you won. It doesn't matter what the scores were, you won. You're, you're the new champion. So that was our, our camp mantra. So I was going to sleep thinking that, waking up thinking that. My, my teammates were yelling it while I was sparring. Every workout ended and they'd be screaming in the new. So um, that was one. Uh, my last one was really specific. I literally was like, on June 1st, 2019, I am knocking out, you know, enter name of fighter, you know, kind of thing. Cause that was, that was the goal through camp. And that was what we do. And I was, I literally, I, I sat in a flotation tank and just say that over and over again for 90 minutes, 90 minutes over and over and over and over and over and over again. Um, another one where I would have uh, master boxer. So whenever I was going to my sparring sessions, I'd sit in the car and I'd write it in my, my, you know, the yellow notepad and iPhones. Mm -hmm. I have, I have a page that is just master boxer and it's probably i couldn't even tell you how many times it's written it's page of page bit mass over and over again master master boom boom master boxer boom 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 and i would sit there and every time sponsors i sit in the car for a little bit and i would write it 20 times that's cool then go in and, and keep that in mind when i was when, when it was time to work um and then post fight hamburger every time nice. 
That's smart. Big, That's good. Big old hamburger. Yeah. Okay. I've been doing that. I've been doing that since shoot. I mean, since I had less than double digit boxing fights. It doesn't have to be from a specific place though. Just a good burger. It can't be a fast food burger. It has to be a real okay. burger. Okay. Like a diner okay. burger. Like a diner burger. Got it. What do you think about um positive, but more importantly, I guess, negative visualization? Like a lot of athletes obviously talk about a meditative time where you will literally sit and go, you know, inside and think about the fight and think about you winning the fight and really visualize it in a detailed way. And I found that to be really helpful for, I mean, anything like if you, again, if you're, if you have a big presentation or if you have something really anything important in your life to kind of visualize it happening successfully and really kind of practice that in your brain. What about spending time negatively visualizing like that's kind of a big stoic principle and a lot of people talk about this to like strengthen your character to like think okay if the worst happens what do i what do i do with that or how will i be or how will i feel but i would imagine it may be a bit more complicated when we're talking about a sports performance because you don't really want to practice losing in your head right right um yeah you don't want to and you don't want to plant the seed either like yeah. i don't I'm, i don't want to plant the seed of me getting hit with the with with the left hook and then going to sleep yeah um you know and i've never thought that before i've never been in you know in a camp and leading up it's like what if you know whatever and i i had a uh, a kickboxing fight where um i had fought this guy and he just hit so hard and it, he had dropped me before and going into the fight was like here we go again. I, I got to fight this guy again, you know, and he, he, he can, he could really, really punch and really, really, he's he a very, very strong guy, very dangerous guy. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I'm going into, it was like, yeah, all right, he's driving me before, but like, I'm not thinking about that at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not going in my, like, it's like, it's like, all right, we got to get ready for, you know, got to be ready for this guy. He's dangerous, but I'm not thinking like the next time we fight, he's going to catch me again. Um, I'm thinking the opposite. I'm thinking about everything I'm going to do. So he doesn't. And in my mind, I'm going to see it over and over again beautifully slipping his punch over and over, over and over, under it, under it, every time over and over, never getting hit with it. And that's kind of the mindset that I've always had. Um, yeah. Is it, is, is it realistic that it could happen? And sure. Um, and I think it is good to have that negative. You're going to have negative, negative self-talk. It's what you do with it, right? Negative self-talk is going to be there. And I think that the, the, the biggest difference between the upper echelon, the, the top 2%, top 1% is that it's here. Physically, we're all the same. I mean, yeah, guys are more talented than other guys. Uh, you know, Manny Pacquiao's talent, physical talent level is different than mine, but I got there for a reason. And that's the beautiful thing about fight sports is that you, there is no single attribute that is most important. You don't have to be super explosive. It helps. You don't have to have a great gas tank. It helps. You don't have to be the fastest guy in the room. It helps. You don't have to be the hardest puncher. Yeah, it helps. But every fighter figures that away because of how the sport is. You don't have to be any of those things. You know, a guy like Mike Tyson is, you know, he's can knock out anybody with one punch. But then you got, 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 got a guy like Willie Pep, we're going way back, like, to the 40s, um, who couldn't crack an egg, but was one of the best fighters that ever fought, ever fought in his life. You know, he wasn't fast, wasn't strong, but he knew how to box. Mm. And, um, you know, so that's the beautiful thing I like about boxing is that it doesn't matter what your, you know, genetic type is. You can, you can still be good at it because you can figure out ways, ways to win. Mm. So at that point, like once you've gotten to that top level, you figured out what works for you and you can beat anybody in the world. The difference is up here. Yeah. The guys with the, with the consistently strong mindset are the ones that are the cons- consistently champions and consistent winners. So, um, and I think those guys are very good at blocking the negative talk, but also utilizing it as a strength. Mm-hmm. I also almost wonder, like, as you're speaking, I feel like sometimes this negative visualization stuff, again, maybe works 
in circumstances where it it is stuff that's out of your control, right? Like you, there's really not a, maybe a whole lot of benefit for a lot of people. And if they have something that they have to do tomorrow and they're freaked out about it to spend an hour thinking about what would happen if I screw it up. But I think so many of us waste so much time stressing out about things that are not within our control in the first place. And so that it's just such a waste. It's such a drain on our energy and our mind. So if we can do a better job of like, if there's something that's happening tomorrow that you're just taking part in, there's nothing you can do about it. And you're stressed out that it's going to go poorly to have that kind of negative visualization where it's like, look, if this does go shitty and it has nothing to do with me and I'm just there, how do I handle it? You know, that, that I think that kind of might play into um, sort of the resilience thing a little bit. hundred percent. Cause it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to go the way that you fear the most. And then it happened anyway. Exactly. You, why did I spend all that anxiety to something that was inevitably going to happen? Twice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or it's going to go the right way. And then you just spent all this time having anxiety for something that had worked out. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, I don't want to bring up like, the election stuff, but it's what it is. Like everyone, yeah. like you just, you deal with it. You deal with it. I, I remember when people went back in 2016, like, oh, he's not my president. I'm like, no, he is. You just got to figure, you got to figure out what works for you. And whoever wins this time, because we still don't know, I don't know when this is coming out. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because, because life goes on. And you figure out, you know, yep. you can't control it. At this point, you voted. That's that's yep. that's as, as much control as you can as you can put out there. Mm-hmm. But from there on, doesn't make sense to to, to get bugged out about it. I was I was fighting with family members and whatever like a couple months ago, and then I was just like, I'm done doing this. I'm done yeah. doing this. And I just yeah. step back and watch everything. And it's like that's when you really see it. It's like, ah, oh, this doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, well, I like your, your, uh, daily reminders again, that it's like, well, w- woke up and we're all still here. We're not going yeah. down to flames yet. It's fine. I'm like, that is actually a reminder that a lot of us need these days, but yeah, it's like we, we put so much, um, of our mental energy and our, you know, belief on the outcome of our lives on external factors when, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, yeah. Like are, you know, are you doing the work to make yourself and your family and your community better in the midst of all this? Or are you just waiting to see if your person, the person you like wins or not, and then you're going to bitch accordingly, you know, right. so, yeah. the, the popularity contest, who, who, yeah. who, who, who do you like better? Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Um, okay. So before I talk more about, or ask you more about food, I did want to, um, ask about, we were talking like injuries and stuff very briefly earlier. And like, how are you doing injury wise? Or, you know, you were talking about recovery. Are you feeling pretty good? Do you have any kind of like lasting or old injuries that you're kind of still kind of dealing with? Like, talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, good question. I, I, I'm, I'm like, as soon as you said it, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm doing like a, like a mental check. I'm like, physically, I'm like, "Mm." Feel pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I dealt with a lot of injuries throughout my career, a lot, uh, especially when I was younger, especially my hands. Um, okay. I don't know if you can tell. I have very thin, thin hand, thin bones on my hands. Um, not, not ideal for boxing. So I got a titanium plate in here, five screws. I have this tricky pinky, which is a That's mess. Um, I broke this thumb. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times you can see. The, yeah. yeah, it doesn't go up. You know, so my hands were always a mess going up. But I knock on wood, they've been great. The last couple of years, I don't know if my bone density as I've aged has gotten better or whatnot. Um, in terms of, you know, soft tissue stuff, I've had a couple surgeries, knees. Um, that was from old high school injuries from wrestling. Uh, I broke my orbital. That was pretty bad, but have no residual from that. My eyesight's fine. Um, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you look, you look you know, for a fighter, like yeah, it's pretty sore. Not, yeah. You look pretty good. You look pretty good. And this is, and again, forgive me. Cause again, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm not a pro. Um, but is, is boxing judging 
similar, I mean, I guess all judging is kind of subjective to a point, right? So is, yeah. is there a little bit of this, like, you know, some people scar easier, some people cut easier, all of these things. Is, is there like, is that a thing in boxing um, judging where it's like, if a fight's close, the guy who looks beat to hell is going to have a harder time with it? It shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. It shouldn't. Depend, you're right. It depends. It depends on the judge and how aware they are. And especially, and also um, of the two fighters that are fighting because perception is reality, right? Especially when you're talking about subjective scoring, which is any kind of judging is involved. So the perception of fighter A is like, oh, he's a murderous puncher. And then it turns out fighter B, he's just got soft skin, right? Mm -hmm. So, which is, I do. I, my face will get jammed up. And if I, and, and you just said like, your face looks good. Like oh, my face obviously doesn't get that banged up during fights, but my skin is soft. You know, I've, I've always been that way. I bruise easily. Um, I've been cut very few times. Like a lot of guys get cut and they get gashed because I don't get hit that clean. Um, even though my face will mark up very, very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, so that puts off a perception that, um, you know, maybe there's more damage being done than it's being done. But at the same time, if you're really watching the, the fight and you realize that I'm not that guy guy fighter b's not really getting hit that clean or that much or ever getting hurt mm -hmm. um you know that's where a judge has to be a real professional and look past the subjective ideas that the fans may see mm -hmm. you know and um and that's why i think that's part of the reason why some judging is seen as being like ridiculous it's like well these first of all these guys are sitting as close to the computer watching the fight and you're just watching a screen and you see one angle you know so mm -hmm. you can hear and feel punches in a real, when you go to a, a live fight, the speed, the power, the intensity is, I mean, powers higher than, than watching on, on a screen. Mm -hmm. So it's really difficult to judge, uh, judge a judge on what they see in a fight. Um, not to say there's not corruption because there is, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that, I think that the higher level judges see past those things, um, and judge from a professional standpoint and not just like a, a rah, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, perspective. I guess the answer is just like, uh, don't, don't let anybody hit you in the face and, uh, you'll be don't okay either way. <laughs> yeah. Don't get hit in the face. Okay. Back to nutrition. Uh, your book, is this for, um, athletes or is it also for average people? It's really not for athletes. It's, it's okay. not, it's not athlete specific. I kind of, the, the name is almost a misnomer. I didn't, you know, I, I, I kind of tell you how, how it came to be. Um, it's the fighter's kitchen, but it's, it, and it's part of the tagline is like, look like a fighter out ever getting hit. So um, that's kind of the idea there. Because honestly, and I don't know if you, you haven't looked through the book yet, but it, when, when you see it, you'll, you'll see that, for one, the recipes are very easy. And they're, they're with um, very like, traditional and easy to get ingredients. And the, they're, they're not hard. I'm not a chef. I'm not a chef. I like to cook. You know, so everything is, is written that way. So it's really for anybody. And they're health conscious. And there's, there's, paleo meals there's keto meals there's vegan meals there's vegetarian meals there's fish there's beef there's it's everything um so there there is no i don't have a dietary approach that i'm attached to or ideal i have no ideology when it comes to um the diet because i don't think there should be um it's not religion it's food mm -hmm. it's energy mm -hmm. um so uh it do, really that's that's the book is not specific to athletes it helps athletes for sure but it helps regular people just the same it's all on how you it's all it's a tool it's all on how you utilize it Okay. I love that because that's something I talk about all the time is to kind of get away from like the dogma and the like clickbait that everyone wants to say, you know, keto's the new thing. And so if you eat a carb, you're an asshole or like <laughs> carnivore is the thing. And if you eat vegetables, you're going to kill yourself and all this right. stuff. Like I, I, I prefer to be a lot more nuanced and like have some context and have some personalized, individualized nutrition come into the story because we are all so different. Um, but I do 
I do think that like there are some basic starting points that I feel like probably work for most people, which is, of course, like unprocessed whole foods and prioritizing protein for most people. Um, mm -hmm. And also the idea that um, animal protein tends to be a more bioavailable, easier, better bang for your buck, more efficient way to get protein, right? So it's like this, you know, I, I'm not I'm not in the business of like telling vegans that they're dumb. But there is sort of the reality that if you're trying to build muscle and you're trying to perform really well and you're trying to get protein, there are easier and more efficient ways to do it. I mean, I guess ultimately it's sort of like if you have a client and they're like, look, I'm a vegan. What are you going to do for me? You got to figure out options, right? Yeah. I've had, I've had fighters who are vegan mm -hmm. that I, you know, um, they were fake vegan, but you know, whatever, they're vegan. So what does that mean? They were like secretly eating burgers with you when no one was looking? Basically, yeah. <laughs> basically, mm -hmm. um, you know, or people that are tr like trying to transition or whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. But like, you're an athlete. Let's focus on winning the fight. Um, that's not, you know, you can do that in between fights if you want. Yeah. Um, it's up to you and, and you can do that fine. And I'll tell you, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, my stance on, on veganism is like, listen, can you do it? Yes. Can you be healthy? Yes. Are you going to be the best version of yourself? No. Mm -hmm. Do not tell me that vegan is going to make me a better athlete because I have so many people, these uh, these zealots come to me like, Hey man, like you're a great athlete, but you'd be even better if you were plant-based. I'm like, ah, no, <laughs> there's no, there's no science to support that. I don't care what documentary you've watched. I read, I read white papers. I don't get my, mm -hmm. my science from, from, from docs. Um, so it's not gonna, it's not gonna make you a better athlete. Um, it can make a lot of people, especially people who eat the standard American diet, a lot healthier because you're eating a tons of fruits and veggies and you're eating, um, you know, less processed crap. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think, I think leading with the whole food approach is, is, is a great start. Um, you know, minimizing processed food, eating out less, learning how to prepare food yourself, um, being, being, uh, protein centric, kind of building your meals around that, um, how to plate, you know, how I, I'm, I'm, I love veggies. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a meat eating vegetarian. <laughs> I will have my half, my plate will be greens and, and, um, and, and healthy starches. I also love carbs, but at times, you know, I have meals that are keto. I have, you know, meals that are uh, kind of paleo. I have vegan, you know, I, I usually do like meatless Mondays dishes, mm -hmm. but it's a meal and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and that just shows you that I, I don't, I don't fall into any ideology. Um, I'm interested in carnivore only because it sounds fun. I don't think it's a good it idea. <laughs> I don't think it's a great idea, especially tool, for like, though, right. Like we try right, a tool. This. Yes. Like keto, I same way. Yeah, I personally use it um, when I like have gone on vacation or have gone off the rails and I'm like, my satiety signals are all messed up. I've been mm -hmm. eating too much sugar. I need to like kind of just bring it back. But I'm never going to be somebody who like eats a bunch of garbage for a week and then does a green juice cleanse for three days or doesn't eat at all because that's punishment. Yeah. I'm not trying to right. punish myself. I just want to get back to a place where I feel good. And I always want to support muscle growth and I want to support my body's function. So I'm like, okay, how can I eat less garbage for a few days, still feel good carnivore perfect tool for that yeah i um i haven't i haven't really buckled down and tried because i want to do it i want to do it properly i'm gonna do it for like at least two weeks um it's just tough because it's not going to fit into my training at all so like i'm, I'm not going to damage my training in any way shape or form to yeah. if, to do a diet that i feel like doing because it's fun yeah. um or maybe it's not i don't know so um i, I gotta I, I have a somewhat quick story for you if you have time yeah i have a buddy who was uh was always kind of transitioning vegan or away from meat. Didn't eat red meat all through high school, all through college. Uh, was a very good wrestler. Now is a black belt in jujitsu. Is a very high level guy. Uh, last four years or so, he's been full vegan, um, pretty much full vegan. 
um, I don't think anyone is really full vegan, but, <laughs> but pretty much, pretty much full. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, vegan. Yeah. Um, and uh, he starts having pretty severe gastrointestinal distress um, a couple years in, and it's, it's it's just progressively getting worse. GERD, you know, upset stomach whenever he eats, uh, cramping, pain, bloating, you know, very very tough. It was making him, it was making it difficult for him to train. Um, it was making him, you know, quite fatigued, even though he didn't really realize it. And uh, comes to me, you know, about a year into it, and he's like, "Hey, man, my 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 stomach's killing me. Doctors have no idea what's going on." I'm like, "All right, well, do you have like a do you have an ulcer? Do you have H. pylori? You know, all these tests, doctors test everything. He's on fine. It's not that. I don't know what it is." And I'm like, "I don't want to tell you, dude, your diet." But I'm like, so like, I I give him a couple supplements to try just for gut health, and then that goes away. A year later, he's like, "It's so bad." since the last time I talked to you, it's getting worse. He's like, I would even probably go back to eating meat again, dude. I feel really, really bad. I'm like, all right. I'm like, listen, there's no real science or research done for this, but I've heard a lot of empirical evidence that people are using carnivore diet as a gut reset. And he's like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, you eat nothing but animal products. I mean, nothing. It's basically a very, very, uh, very, very uh, strict exclusion diet. And uh, it kind of lets you inflammation goes down, let your gut rest, gut biome re recirculates, repopulates itself. And then we kind of go from there and see what the issues are. And I think he, I think it was the, maybe the third week, all symptoms gone, goes for a run, feels great. He's, I'm talking to him every day and all symptoms go away. Um, the, the, the bloating goes away. He goes for a run. He's like, I haven't run in, in so long. He's like, I did four miles, like no problem. Felt awesome. I'm rolling way better. I feel strong. I'm like, and, I, and the whole time I'm being like, I told you so. I'm just like, yeah, okay, dude, here's the next step. Here's the next step. Yeah. He's like, all right. So I was like, let's do this for um, another couple of weeks. And then we're going to start slowly adding food back in other foods. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's been, shoot, been about three and a half months now. This is pretty much all through quarantine and uh, probably longer, but yeah, no, he's, he's, he's mostly carnivore. Um, you know, he's, he's got uh, olive oil in there, avocados. Mm -hmm. um, he eats greens. Um, fruit. We still, it's still no, still no nuts and seeds, no beans, um, grains throw him right back off. Yeah. Even though he's not gluten and you know, it's, it's, it's strange. It's very strange, you know, cause we've, he's had hiccups go back and forth. I'm just like, all right, go back, go back to carnivore for, for a couple of days. till symptoms, you know, flatten out and then yeah. we'll start reintroducing things again. Um, it's been an interesting little experiment. Well, is there something um, but, to be said for like as a nutritionist too, like when you, even if you say aren't uh, celiac or gluten intolerant, when you are eating so much of the same thing that your body does have to work to digest, mm -hmm. right? Because some of these things, like, let's be real, they are more bioavailable and easier for us to digest than other things. Um, you're going to build up intolerances to things because you're just eating too much of it. You're not eating other things that are sort of balancing out your gut microbiome and all of these things. Like I know a lot of people, and I live in fear of this every day. Day, a lot of people like build intolerances to like eggs because they yeah. eat so many of them and then all of a sudden like their body kind of rejects it i'm like if that ever happens to me i'm jumping off a bridge because eggs are like the best thing in the world um Same. But that that happens right like if you just eat like if all you're doing is eating like grains and cruciferous vegetables and beans and things like that. I mean, your body's going to not like it after a certain point, the same way if you only eat ground beef for two years, maybe eventually your body's going to be like, all right. Yeah. You're, I mean, like, it's, it's kind of what we said about earlier about the homeostasis, like you're overloading the system. And, um, and I think I just read, uh, uh, Dr. Paul Saladino's book, the, um, 
the carnival code. code. Yeah. And um, interesting, very interesting, very smart guy. Really uh, put it together really well. I don't agree with a lot of the things he says in there, but I think a lot of those things are, are very well researched and really, really smart. Um, but you know, it, it, it is true. There are there are certain aspects of plants that are protected for themselves and 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 can be kind of like poison. And there's microaggressions in those those meals. And like you said, eating tons of it. If you have a slight reaction to something that you're eating a ton of, it can cause a, a cascade of really dangerous, not dangerous, but damaging stuff to your body. Yeah. Um, I, I know, for example, like I, um, I develop a milk protein allergy and it's something that I never noticed. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I always noticed like I, this is, this has been for decades. If I drink a lot of milk, uh, yeah, it's a lot of lactose and it bothers me. So mm -hmm. I don't drink a lot of milk, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, simple enough. Um, I don't eat a ton of cheese, but I still like cheese. I need some cheese. But um, I do take a lot of whey protein, and I did for a long time. And I got some regular blood work. I had no issues. I had no problems, no feeling of like problems in my body at all. I got a regular blood test, and there were some strange numbers. I'm like, hmm. And they're like, are you celiac? You're having some malabsorption issues. I'm like, really? I'm like, I eat a lot of really nutrient dense food. And then I was like, something's up. So I got an allergy test. Sure enough, I'm allergic to milk protein, not lactose intolerant. Allergic to milk protein. Yeah. So I had to cut out my whey. I had to cut out my yogurt. Um, you know, I avoid cheese. But honestly, and, and I did feel a difference afterwards. It's one of those things where it's insidious. You don't realize you're having an issue. Mm -hmm. I just felt like I had more energy. Not, not a tremendous amount, but mm -hmm. something. Um, and I've been like that for about two years now. But to this day, I'm, I still will eat cheese from time to time. You know, it's just it's one of those things. So it's like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to completely, because it doesn't damage. It's not, it's not like overtly damaging me where I'm like, oh, I'm sick for days. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, maybe, maybe I'm having a little bit of an issue, but um, yeah. It's like a toxic load thing. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. And like Paul, I love Paul. You know, I had him on the podcast, whatever. But I think one of the, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, where it's like he, you know, he's got a very strong extreme stance that, again, is not going to appeal to everybody because it's just not sustainable. It's great. It helps a very small portion of people need to eat that strictly all the time. And that's great. And it's great to learn these things. And it's great to use them as tools. But at the end of the day, like the vast majority of people are just never going to do that. And I will say if you, if you ever do get the opportunity to do like a decent, uh, a, a approach the, the carnivore kind of thing for a couple of weeks, um, definitely do some recipes for my book. And also my biggest, my biggest recommendation, cause I've talked to Paul and the like Sean Bakers of the world and other people. And like when Joe Rogan was doing his, the biggest problem I feel like is people think carnivore is to just eat a giant steak and two pounds of ground beef every day. That's it. I'm like, it is restrictive, but think about all of the animals in the world and all of the cuts and all of the ways you can prepare it. You can have different textures and like different everything. Like you can, you can really seafood and shellfish and like, so you're getting like a really wide range of nutrients and tastes and textures. And it doesn't have to be because I love meat more than the average person. And I don't want to eat just steak all day, every day. That's terrible um so yeah you can do it and make it and make it fun and um yeah you can try 100 yeah I, I think you're, you're you're spot on on that i mean yeah. uh especially if you have an idea about how to how to cook and how to prepare certain things that's something you like to do i think yeah. you would definitely make it very very palatable um yeah. i think also that I, my friend went through this too so uh, you got to make sure you get enough fat you know yes. he, was, he was having some problems with that i was like dude you need to he was eating bacon with every meal because it's just like he was eating ribeyes and like he, he's not uh he doesn't have a palate like you and I, where you can eat a bunch of different things, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, there's so many different things. Have you, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, we've been grilling up chicken hearts on the grill recently. We do skewers of chicken hearts and, uh, and veggies and onions. It's, it's awesome. 
I literally have, I mean, that's like, the, that's like the no brainer recipe because so many people were like messaging me. They're like, what do I do with chicken hearts? I'm like, I don't even have a recipe for you. You just cook them and eat them. Yeah, like it's, great. it couldn't, yeah, it couldn't be easier. Um, I don't want to keep you too much longer because I, I want to be respectful of your time. I could uh, ask you a million more questions, but um, what, what do you, when you are going to go like fully off the rails and just eat whatever you want, what are you going to eat? Like, do you have a sweet tooth? Are you going to have like cake no. or no? No. All right. No, don't have a sweet tooth. Um, and it's funny, I used to, bad. Mm. I used to, after my fights, especially my kickboxing career, I would have literally a chocolate cream pie waiting for me in the in the dressing room. And I would eat the whole thing. That's whole a post-fight That's a post fight ritual I could get down with. Whole thing. <laughs> okay. And uh, it literally waiting for me. I would, I would go in the back. My buddy would have a Heineken in his hand. And they'd have a, 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 a banana, a, a chocolate cream pie. Amazing. And I'd be like, boom, boom, boom. And literally talk to people, still sweating and just crushing this pie. And uh, for weeks after fights, I'd wake up and I have cookies for breakfast. And um, I was like, oh, it's early in the day. This is the best time to have the sweets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's a gut biome thing. I don't know. I got away from eating sugars and literally the sweet tooth is gone. Yeah. And even to this day, um, I think... I, cause I, it doesn't make you feel good. I don't care who, it doesn't yeah. matter. I don't care who you are. When you eat, yeah. when you eat load of sugar and glycemic index, glycemic load is crazy. Your body hates it. Yeah. So I always look at sweets like that. I look at that and I'm like, that's going to, that's going to suck for the next multiple hours, maybe a day. Yeah. Not worth it. Yeah. Not worth, it never tastes good enough for me. Yeah. Um, so ah, going off the rails, I think honestly, cause I eat what I want, even when I'm in camp, mm. um, I think going off the rails for me is just how often I do it. Mm. You know, if, if if I'm like on full vacation mode, I'm going to eat a super rich breakfast, a super rich lunch, a super mm-hmm. rich dinner, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. going to do that for multiple days in a row because otherwise there's no single meal that I, I, I like, I'm like, I can't eat that. I'm in camp. Yeah. Nothing. I'll eat yeah. a giant bowl of pasta. I'll eat a huge steak. I'll eat a hamburger, bacon, cheeseburger, n- nothing. There's nothing off limits for me during a camp. Um, mm-hmm. It's just where I place it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'll say just from watching the the food that you talk about, the food that you make and that you show, like you do a very good job of showing that healthy food can be balanced and delicious and not look like you are settling or being restrictive, right? And I think that that's important, again, for people to see. And of course, again, you're different. You are training a lot harder and a lot more than the average person. So you can get away with maybe some things that other people can't. Um, But you are showing that like... a healthy, well-balanced plate can be beautiful and delicious and have variety and be something that's you're looking forward to instead of I have to force this down because it's healthy. So I think that's that's an important message. Um, just to just yeah, just just something to leave our listeners because I like to have kind of like a high level like takeaway for the people who are listening who are generally like pretty smart, pretty athletic, pretty on top of things. What are some like high level as a nutritionist and this experience that you have, what are some high level sort of recommendations or like just general smart rules of thumb that people can start to, to use and take away and just keep in mind as they're trying to figure out their best diet? Um, <clears throat> I would say something that I think is overlooked even at the highest levels is, is periodizing your nutrition. So many of us periodize our training, right? where we're going to do different things for multiple weeks and we're going to switch it up or we're going to change it. But the diet stays the same. That makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. So eat for your movement, eat for what you're doing, eat for your activity. Um, if you're not moving much, you don't need a lot of carbs. I don't, it's it just, you just don't, 
your body doesn't, if you're not doing anything explosive, you're not doing anything, um, long duration. If you're not, you don't, you don't need a lot of carbs. If, um, if you are, and if it's a day where there's a lot of activity, put your carbs around that activity before it, during it, after it, if performance matters, carbs need to be there. Again, if performance matters, carbs need to be there. So if I am just going for a steady state 40 for 60 minute run, I don't care if I have carbs as much. I don't need to refuel as much if I don't have a session coming up. If I have a sparring session, I am eating, I'm going in there bloated with carbs because the performance matters. My energy levels matter. My gas tank matters. Uh, being explosive matters. Um, if I'm just going to go through, do a strength and conditioning workout and just got to get through it, whatever, it's one of those like ancillary workouts in my camp. I, I'm not super focused on, the performance of circus on, you know, good technique and being focused or whatever, but I don't need to be glycogen topped off, you know, like I do for something explosive or something that's going to be very, very difficult. So I think eat for, eat for your specific, your specific movements or activities or exercises that day. And also for your, just your, your lifestyle in general. Uh, I mean, if, if you can tackle that, there's, there's not a whole lot else you know, to focus on. I mean, once you get to the more focused and high level stuff that I think that's, that's really important. Most often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Okay. And folks can get your book on Amazon and obviously follow you on Instagram anywhere else that you want to direct people to, to learn more about what you're doing. Uh, just my website, chrisalgeri.com. Um, it's pretty links to all the, all the social medias, but I'm most, most active on Instagram. Um, okay. and yeah, the books on books on Amazon. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the tips. I'm going to go downstairs and punch somebody a couple times and see how that goes. I'll let <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I appreciate your time. Let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. Anytime. It was, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much. All right, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks again to Chris for coming on and giving me so much uh, personal advice, but, but also hopefully uh, an entertaining podcast for you guys too. Highly recommend you go uh, check out The Fighter's Kitchen. Awesome book. Um, he knows what he's talking about. So, you know, and if you want to add to that, you can also get my book, It Takes Guts. We are both fans of organ meats and working out, and it seems to be working out well for both of us. So, There you go. Two awesome cookbooks for you, for, I don't know, someone you love for the holidays. Go check it out. I'll put the links actually in the show notes so you can go um, do that. Thank you again to Ancestral Supplements. They are the best. They keep me healthy all year round when I'm not making my own liver. Um, Head to their website, ancestralsupplements.com, and you can use the code MAVEN10 to get a discount on any of their grass-fed desiccated organ supplements. I'm currently working my way through bone marrow and then I've got kidney up next. I like to do them one at a time because I like to really notice and feel the effects of the of the different products and see which ones are kind of working and which ones are, are the most beneficial for me. If you have questions about specific products, reach out to me and I will get the information for you. You could also reach out to them on Instagram at Ancestral Supplements. These guys are super responsive and happy to give you more information about their products and about the benefits of their products. So shout out to Ancestral Supplements. Love you guys. Thank you all for listening. And Join me again next week.